Welcome to the podcast of the Unitarian Universalist Church of Cheyenne. We hope that these words find you well during these trying days. We are not meeting in person, but we gather on Zoom on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. For more information, you can visit our website at uucheyenne.org or find us on Facebook. I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. As I read this text over the course of this week and and previously, I was so struck by the image of a group of people all sitting together, all who seemed like they were from the same place, right? That they should speak the same language to each other. And instead they're each speaking a different language, right? I imagine the cacophony of 12 apostles speaking at once, each in a different language. And we hear right, that people of all different, right, Jews of different nationalities and people living in Jerusalem, they come up and they see this, what, right, what is truly a sort of spectacular sight. Imagine if you alighted upon such a happening. Right, and some of them jeer, right, as Sarah put in the chat box, it's a good burn, you're full of new wine. Um, right, new wine is like, slightly higher in alcohol than old wine, which is why they're, you know, it's causing this, this wild raucous party, right? And so some of them say like, look at these weirdos. But that other people come up and say, my goodness, they're speaking my language. I can understand them. And then Peter, right, reminds the gathered crowd of the words of the prophet Joel, that what's happening is not a wild 9 a.m. party of the apostles, nor is it just a moment of noise. What's happening is what for Jews was foretold by the prophet Joel, right? What's happening is that God is pouring out God's spirit on people. And as a result, they are dreaming dreams and having visions and speaking of possibilities, not just to each other, but to other people, to people who are not like them, to people who speak a different language, who came from a different country. Right, and as I reflected on this text this week, I was struck by what a cacophony we seem to be living in. by the extent to which it seems that people simply talk past each other. By the ways that it seems that we are, that we simply cannot understand each other anymore.
and how it can seem sometimes like that kind of chaos and cacophony and different languages that some people will look upon that and say, my goodness, what a mess. Those fools making noise, raising a ruckus. This week, there are ways that it feels different, right? There are ways that it feels like a conversation about race and about policing in America is suddenly in front of us. But a conversation about race and about state violence and about policing and about black lives has been going on in America as long as there has been an America. This week, though, the death of George Floyd and has brought things to a sparking point, at least for the moment, though his is not the only death at the hands of police in America, not even this week, right? Not even this week is his the only death. And sometimes living in a place like Cheyenne, all of that can feel sort of far away, right? That that's not something that happens here. That's not what we do here. That that's a problem for big cities. That's a problem for other people. That's a problem for other places. Right, and that's a, that's a comfortable place to feel, right? To say, to watch the news and say, wow, that sounds rough for them. But here, that's not how we do things. But the truth is, right, the truth is that Cheyenne, Wyoming is not exempt from racism. It's not exempt from the kinds of attitudes, not only that led a white police officer to murder George Floyd, right? But Cheyenne, Wyoming is also not exempt from the forces that led three other police officers to stand by while he did it. It's not exempt from the forces that led us, right, that led leaders to take their sweet time responding to that 
that extrajudicial killing by the police. It's not exempt from the forces that led people to wring their hands and wonder what was more important, storefronts or people. It's not exempt from the forces that, that led our president to tweet threats of violence. Right, though sometimes these things feel far away, we're not exempt from them. They're here. And they show up differently. Right, in some ways, they show up, if you think about an iceberg, right, they show up under the surface. Right, most of the iceberg lives under the surface of the water. And so sometimes those things show up here under the surface. And it's only when we have an occasion to really listen, to really pay attention to what others are saying, to what Black folks in Cheyenne are saying, to what Indigenous people in Wyoming are saying, that we understand what's actually going on with the bulk of that iceberg under the surface. I think back to when right, those flyers went up at McCormick Junior High last year that were homophobic and racist and all around quite terrible. But in some ways to me what was most astonishing was at the school board meetings after the fact. Right, we saw parent after parent after parent after parent show up and not just parent, right, specifically parents of black children in our school system show up and say, my child was harassed. My child was called the N-word. And they told the teacher and then nothing happened. And maybe you feel like that's a far cry from what happened in Minneapolis and what has happened in Louisville to Breonna Taylor and across the country to different right, people of color and specifically black folks in America at the hands of the police. And you may think that those seem worlds apart, but they're part of the same iceberg, right? They're part of the same set of ideas that Luann, right, talked about in that book between, from Between the World and Me Right, the set of that, that same set of ideas. And I would use the terms white supremacy and white supremacy culture to describe that whole iceberg. And it contains a lot of different things. And some of them feel obvious and egregious and, so, and then some of them feel less obvious or less egregious, but they are part of the same system. They're part of the same set of values that teach us, right, that teach us implicitly that certain lives are worth more and other lives are worth less.
And so, right, we feel like we're in that cacophony, right? We feel like there's, there's 12 people sitting around speaking different languages and nobody knows what's happening. But we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to not just be talking past each other, to experience the, right, what in the text from this morning from Acts, right, they call the fire of the Holy Spirit. And maybe for you, it shows up as a still small voice. Maybe for others, it shows up as a rushing Wyoming wind that knocks you off your feet just about. It can be gentle or fierce, but it shows up and it asks you to do something. I remember when I was a middle school teacher in Baltimore, I taught um, mostly recently arrived refugees and I taught English as a, to speakers of other languages but I also taught a slightly more advanced class of English language learners. And these were students who had been in the U.S. for a little bit, for a little while. And most of them uh, were refugees from um, East Africa and uh, Nepal and Bhutan. So it was a deeply cross-cultural experience. And in my more advanced class, one day we were watching the PBS documentary Eyes on the Prize about the American Civil Rights Movement in the 50s and 60s. And so, you know, we watched the documentary and then we, you know, I pulled up the, the list of questions that we were supposed to talk about after the fact. And one of my students who had been in the U.S. for quite a while, she was in the seventh grade when this was happening, but she had arrived in kindergarten. She was from Somalia. She raised her hand and she said, Miss Roberts, I don't understand what those white people were doing. And I thought like, okay. So this is like, I was like, this is my moment. I am gonna explain how like white people became so full of hate that they beat freedom riders. And I was like sort of, I was sort of like nervous and I was like, okay, but I, I got this. I was like, mm, I'm gonna do it. We're just gonna face the truth. We're gonna say hard things. And so I launched into my speech about how hate transforms people and makes them perpetrate violent acts. And then uh, in the way and only a seventh grader can, she was like, no, no, no. I meant the white people who got on the bus with the black people. Right, what she couldn't understand after eight years of living in the US, what she couldn't understand was that there were white people who were willing to get on the bus, to put their lives and livelihoods on the line for their black siblings. It wasn't the hatred of white supremacy that confused her. It was white folks acting in solidarity with black people. That's what seemed unreasonable to her. 
And it was a reminder, a moment where a mirror was held up to my face. And that, right, and this, it was not that this student didn't know white people. It's not like she didn't know white people who were liberal or progressive, who had good intentions, who if you would ask them would say, you know, I, I believe in equality, I want to help. She knew plenty of those people. But nothing about the way that we moved in the world showed her that we would actually be willing to put ourselves in harm's way to advance the cause of Black liberation in America. And it was a reminder for me that what we say, what we say we believe, what we say we're all about, all of our talking only matters if we back it up with movement, if we back it up with shifts and changes and newness and possibility in the way that we are and we move in the world. That, that we are called to respond to the presence of the holy in our lives, not by saying, yeah, 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 I hear you. We are called to feel that truth in our souls and our spirits. To share it with others and to live in a way that reflects it. And that work is complicated. It's long haul, really messy stuff. And it will require a kind of vision, not like seeing, but like dreaming and prophesying. Like they talk about in the book of Acts and in the prophet Joel, right? That young people will prophesy and dream. And elders will dream and have visions. And that then we are called to act on them, to live them as if they are true. And so I wonder, I wonder today, what would it be like to live as if these, the vision, the dream, the prophecy were true? What would it take? What courage, what risk, what action, would it take to live as if the prophecy of a nation transformed, of a community transformed? What would it take? What courage? What risk? What would it take from you? And there's the very real possibility that some bystanders will jeer at you, right? will say that you're a fool, that you're drunk even though it's 9 a.m. 
but there is also the possibility that someone will hear you speaking directly to them. That even though you are not the same, that they will hear you speaking directly to them and they will know that with the work of the holy between you, there might be something different. What risk, what courage are you called to by the rushing flame or the howling wind or the still small voice of the holy? What are you called to do? Carry this question in your hearts, beloveds. May it be so. Amen. Thank you for listening. Here at the Unitarian Universalist Church of Cheyenne, we are grateful for the ways that you join our community. You can connect with us on our website at uucheyenne.org. And if you find yourself needing more support during these days, don't hesitate to reach out through our Facebook page or by contacting our minister, Reverend Hannah, at minister at uucheyenne.org. We are here for each other through whatever may come.